0: Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Wow, I've got a lot to talk about today. But before I do that, let me thank our sponsor, This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E.com. Well, I was hoping to stop by Sailrite when I went back to Indiana for Thanksgiving, but... Um, I never did. I never was able to get over there. I think I mentioned they were in Elkhart. They're actually closer to Fort Wayne, Indiana, which was about an hour and a half, two-hour drive from South Bend. And that would have taken probably a full day, and I really didn't have the time. I was hoping to meet Matt Grant and the people there. But the, the reason I went back to Indiana is my mother's elderly. She's 88 years old, and she's... She, well, I don't need to go into all the details, but if you've ever dealt with uh, end of life situations, and it's not quite end of life, but it's getting to the point where she she's not able to take care of herself, that was what I went back to Indiana to deal with. Wow. Um, I've got fortunately I've got a sister back there that really takes great care of her, and. Anyway, I don't need to go into any more detail than that. But I did not make it buy sell right uh, to see them. I got a new Patreon. And um, he's a $5 level Patreon, Kevin Yeager. And at the $5 level, you've got the right to suggest a topic for the show. And so I wrote Kevin. I said, uh, give me some ideas for the show. And I'll read what he said. He said, I don't have a specific suggestion for a future show, but generally I'm interested in things that can help newbies like me ease into bare boat charter sailing. I feel as though I'm fairly new to sailing. I had no friends or family involved in any kind of boating for most of my life. I can count on one hand the times I've been in any kind of boat before I turned 40. About six years ago, I was invited to crew for a friend. I did that for four years, mostly Thursday night beer can races, and mostly on Lake Ontario near Rochester, New York. Two years ago, I bought a 79 Pearson 30. I've done a lot of Thursday night racing and as much weekend day sailing as possible. My biggest trip so far has been a six-night cruise around the eastern end of Lake Ontario and back. I'm dreaming of doing some sailing in distant waters to see different people and different colored water. I've made arrangements to take a six-night onboard class in Granada in February with the goal of earning my 101, 102, and 104 credentials so that I can rent sailboats. Then he puts in parentheses, I bought and have listened to all three of your learn-to-sale audiobooks, by the way. I have a 50-minute commute to work, and I like learning by listening. I think the ASA tests aren't going to be a problem for me. Assuming I earn the credentials in February, I'm looking forward to planning my first not-on-Lake-Ontario and not-on-my-boat trip. So I'm interested in things like the following, good ports to depart from, that are easy to get to on airlines of course from rochester new york most destinations require at least one layover cruises that will be easier for whatever reason be it easy sailing greater chances of nice weather fewer language problems fewer cultural differences fewer problems checking in and out of ports in different countries and cheaper options and then i told kevin to give me a call so i gave him my cell phone number and he gave me a call and i think we talked for about a half an hour about his background what he's doing and his upcoming trip to uh, the caribbean to get his asa 104 so kevin thank you so much for being a patreon i really appreciate it then another five dollar patreon jake miller he said franz i understand you rep- prefer calls, but with time zones, an email is somewhat easier. I'm not sure who your average listener is or if they're beginning sailors like myself looking for info, experienced sailors trying to get tips on where to go like Jack or couch sailors living vicariously through your stories. If you like, I can tell my story. I'm not sure if it's as exciting as your other guests, but here's the blurb. Story starts just over 12 months ago. I said, what the... (laughs) This is a G-rated podcast, so I'm not going to read that word. Uh, He said, what the... I want my freedom, so I decided to sail around the world. At this stage, I'd never unfurled a jib. My wife rightfully told me to stop being a dickhead and start small, so we agreed to go sailing for eight weeks and over a 1,000 miles around the Med, which we did in a brand new yacht, just my wife and I costing less than it would cost to rent a hotel room per night. With the fun of sailing through the heart of the cyclone, with 70-plus knot winds and managing to return the yacht back safely, and only with the broken Windex, which I believe was broken by a bird the night before, we had to drop the yacht back. And like any risky business, freedom brings opportunity. This trip managed to land me my dream job, which has nothing to do with sailing. I can highlight on the steps that we took to learn in an accelerated way what we organized and the cost, and then a run-through of where we went and what we saw, and in our humble opinion, of said places. To make it easier, I can pin the locations on Google Map ahead of time So you can follow along on your side without having to guess the spelling of a Croatian town crossed with an Australian accent. If you feel your listeners will benefit from my story, I'd be happy to arrange a time and during the week for a Skype. Yeah, Jake, I'd love that. And I wrote you back, and I haven't heard back from you. So when you listen to this podcast, I'm looking forward to uh, interviewing you on that trip. So yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's set it up sometime. So the last podcast I did, Neil had gotten off the boat in Paros, Greece, and I had my next crew joining me, uh, Dr. Kruger and his cousin. Now, Dr. Kruger is a client of mine, and his cousin were the guests. I I told him to bring a guest that he wanted to go sailing with, and so he brought his cousin. And we actually had a good day of sailing when he got on the boat. We sailed from Paros over to Seraphos which was about 33 miles and we started out with fairly light winds and the winds build up fairly quickly going down to my usual sail sail plan for the summer of uh, just the staysail up and the second reef in my mainsail. My mainsail reefed as far down as it would go but we had a long 33 mile run The boat steered itself most of the way over until we got close to the harbor, and then I took over on the helm and brought it in. Now we spent one night in Seraphos, and then we had a real long run. And the reason we only stayed one night in Seraphos is because I looked at the winds, the forecast for the rest of the week, and the next day was going to be the only day that we could do this long hop. And it was another 63-mile hop, so it was a long, long day. So we got up at crack of dawn in the morning Left Seraphos. Uh, in the morning. Usually the the sea's calm, so we were motoring. Motored for about oh two hours, three hours. Wind started coming up. Started putting the sails up. And again, just like the day before, towards the end of the day, the winds had come up extremely strong. Now this was such a long a long sail that we were not going to be able to make landfall until nighttime. There was just no way we could get across there any sooner than it was going to be dark when we pulled in. There were not very many choices on where to go that night. I chose the closest destination, which was just a an open anchorage protected from the wind. At the south, uh, well, I guess it's really the eastern tip of the... Uh, Peloponnese Peninsula just below Poros. Uh, Poros is actually an island but this is uh, on the eastern tip just below the eastern tip. It showed in the pilot good holding and with the winds blowing the way they were strongly from the north uh, it was going to be fairly sheltered and so we pulled in there and it was probably about mm, 1 30, 2 o'clock in the morning when we pulled in. Now just a word to the wise when you When you drop anchor, will you please turn on your anchor lights? I was thinking this was going to be a fairly empty anchorage, but it wasn't. There were actually quite a few boats already in there. Uh, Most of the boats had their anchor lights on, so we could see where they were. But there was one boat we were headed right at, which did not have its anchor lights on. And if we had hit that boat, that boat would have been at fault for not having an anchor light on. Fortunately, we were able to bear off when we could see it uh, coming close. Uh, eventually, I went down below and got my spotlight because I realized there it was more crowded in here than I'd anticipated. And we did drop anchor and then cooked some supper and had a couple drinks, and uh, and that was that. So that was a long haul. And then the rest of the week with my client... Dr. Kruger, we sailed around the Peloponnese, and I'd never spent much time sailing around the Peloponnese, except for down to Aegina, and which is not uh, the Peloponnese, it's just one of the islands. Uh, and then down to Poros. But we went to Thermisa, we went to er- Ermione and a few other places, and it was quite delightful. And if I were to make a suggestion, if you're going to be chartering a boat out of Athens or Kalamaki Harbor or anywhere in the, that area, you might not want to do the Cyclades. You might want to go down and explore the Peloponnese Peninsula. There's going to be more anchorages closer together. There's interesting towns. And you don't have to do the 60-mile hops that you have to do if you want to get out to the Cyclades from Athens. So anyway, we dropped him off after a week on the boat in Poros, and next to me in Poros was this family, and the father of the family was named Hamish Crow, and I know I wrote his email down, but guess what? I left it on the boat, so there's no way I can contact him, so I'm hoping he's listening to this podcast, because I told him before I would release a podcast, I'd let him know, but... I could not find his email, and I did a Google search, and I could not find him on the Internet. But his name is Hamish Crow, and he had a family of, I think, three or four boys and his wife. And he tells a good story about his experience chartering. So I'm going to share that with you right now. I'm in Poros, Greece. And what is it? It's Friday, the, uh, and I'm going to have to look at my phone, because the 11th of August... 2017 my my last crew dr. Krueger and his his cousin Tomas got off the boat yesterday afternoon after we sailed up from the peninsula the Peloponnese Peninsula strong winds again which is what we've had all summer long uh, with the exception of one day when we sailed from Kosh up to Limnos it's it's, it's not just my experience of the strong winds I'm with I'm with a family that's sailing from Bristol, England. It's the Crow family. And let me go get the names because I just got done writing them down and I want to go back and make sure I get it. And the father is Hamish Crow. Hamish? Hamish. Hamish, Hamish Crow. He's got a 16-year-old son, Yohan. Is that right? Yeah. All right. A 10-year-old son named Finn and uh, a 12-year-old son named... Carwin, and then one that's down below sleeping, Taylor, Tylo, Tylo. So it's a family of four sons and mother and father on board. They've chartered a boat. They chartered out of Athens, and they've been sailing the Cyclades Islands. And I'm going to let them tell a little bit about their story. Hamish, where did you learn
1: to sail? Is this the first time you've been sailing? Tell us about your trip so far. So first of all, um, about when I learned to sail, I was... Um, I grew up in Cardiff in Wales, and the, um, the local education authority had a really good sailing um, activity club that you could go to every Tuesday evening, and it cost about £20 for the whole summer long of about three hours every Tuesday evening, so it was ridiculously cheap and really, really good um, with you know, a public-run public, public uh, programme. And it was just, I learned to sail, um, and I was introduced to what has become my best friend, a guy called Robin, and um, he, his family took me under his wing, under their wing, and um, they had boats, and so I just started going sailing with them, and then we got a boat together, and then we started to be, be uh, race more and more seriously, and then we started, we got into the um, Welsh Youth Sailing Team, and um, so we sailed with them for about three years, and were reasonably successful in Wales, and and um, we did okay in the nationals as well, so we were in the in the GB. Youth squad. So um, you know, there's thousands and thousands of sailors that have come up through this British, the RYA youth squad system. So I'm just one of those guys, um, you know, with very average, um, very average achievements. But of course, from the guys which are our age, we also know quite a lot of um, Olympic medalists as well and Olympic sailors because they're just constantly, you know, as you know that the UK is is is, um, is quite strong at sailing. And so, um, yeah, it's quite a successful programme. So I just came up through there. And, um, and then eventually, Robin and I, we uh, ended up buying a boat with his parents, um, which was a 38-foot boat. So this is when I was, you know, proper... We were... How old were we, were we Kath? I think we were about 30. Yeah. So we were 30. And we had 32. a deep... 32. 32. We had a deep and meaningful conversation while we were backpacking um, around Lake Como, um, down in Italy. And we had... So we had this... Our oldest boy, he was about one and a half, calf, something like that, yeah. And um, I hadn't been sailing properly for, you know, a few years. And um, I'd kind of, I'd got into other sports. And um, she said, "What, would, you know, what would make you really, really happy? And I said, oh, I think we need to get another, I think we need to buy a boat. And she said, right, well, you need to uh, you need to make that happen then. So I um, immediately got onto a uh, on um, text message to my friend. I said, right, Robin, we need to get a boat. And um, and that was it. Within about six months, we bought this absolutely fantastic cruiser racer. Um, And so then we just we just went sailing. And yeah, so that's, you know, that's a massive long story in itself. But we sailed to France a couple of times to the Channel Islands, um, to the Scilly Isles um, or a bit through the south coast of um, England. Um, We sailed pretty much all the way around Ireland. Um, we did the west coast of Scotland, and a few other small trips in between on the west coast of Wales. Um, so, as a family, yeah, that's that's what we did, didn't we? So we had, when we bought the boat, we had only one child, and then we subsequently had three more young children with that. Um, and then when the boat went, and this we had to sell it eventually because um, it was wasn't really right for a, uh, an older family, and. Um, Robins family were then quite young. It didn't really work out for all for for both sets of um, owners, and we um, we sold the boat and then we just bought a very small sports boat, which was a twenty three foot out and out racing boat with nothing down below at all. Just and so we just do we've just done a little bit of weekend sailing with that, and then of course um, getting back to chartering, um, we hadn't really done any proper real sailing, you know, proper cruising for a while, for, for probably two years, Kath, something like that. And so um, we decided to charter. That was last year in the Adriatic um, out of Croatia. And um, then it was so successful last year, we did it for a week. We thought, oh, you know, this, this time we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, um, we'll, we'll charter in Greece. But being a race, you know, racing has been my, my background and, um, and certainly I've done a lot of yacht racing as well. And so one of the big things which I like is, is you know, good wind, and um, I'm quite aware that the charter boats that you charter are really not very good at performance, and so you need a, you know, need a pretty decent wind to get them going. So I was like, okay, well, I don't want to go to Greece and just be becalmed for two weeks and, and motor everywhere. So um, before I actually chartered, it's like, well, where can we go? And, that, and people were saying, oh, the Kiklades are, you know, that's, that's a very windy place, and I'm not really sure if you want to go down there um but there's other places you can go where there's less wind and I, all I could think all I could hear was oh there's a really windy place called the Kiklades. <laughs> so i want to go there that sounds like a fantastic place to go so um we uh, yeah i do not i don't know yeah so i don't know if you just want me to keep on going and tell you the story but um we ended up um chartering through uh, an amazing guy um a guy called jim nagel which is from do you want me to say that? Yeah. So from a, a company called Activity Yachting. Now, it sounds a bit strange, but this, this bloke is... Um, so he runs, a, he runs a charter company out of Croatia, but he has worked extensively through the Mediterranean and spent a lot of time in Greece and really, really knows Greece well. So we chartered through him last year. And um, so he's got about, I think, about eight or ten of his own boats in Croatia and a small base in Croatia. Um but he also cross hires or cross charters as well and the bloke is as honest as the day is long, honestly. I completely and utterly you know, he's absolutely straight. He doesn't take um you know, doesn't charge any huge costs or anything like that, so you can't you can't get it cheaper anywhere else um or by chartering direct with any of these companies. So he um just takes a very small fee, very, very reasonable and absolutely trustworthy, um with things like transferring money from the UK pound into euros and things like that so it was an absolutely fantastic bloke and he um he arranged this charter here now and so we're with a company called Open Seas which is I think it's quite a small company um but it was all done through activity yachting um so we um picked up the boat and um that was well two weeks ago now what day was that Kath Saturday the 29th of July and um, yeah we, so we set off and so we thought this time last last um, year in Croatia I was a bit I was a bit worried and a bit concerned and a bit a bit um, well I wasn't really I wasn't really that well prepared but this year I was much better prepared I bought a pilot and I decided right I'm going to get going straight away. So, as soon as we got onto the boat, within half an hour, we're off out and we, head, we headed down to Axi Union, which is I don't know if you know where that is. Where is that at? That's just at the very um, bottom of the mainland below Greece uh, sorry, below Athens. So, you go down the mainland from Athens and it's just an anchorage. So, it's about 25 oh, miles Cape So Union. Yeah, yeah, So Union. Yeah, so Axi like so Union. Yeah. Fit, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where the beautiful temple is. So, we headed down there. Um we didn't quite make it that night and so we stopped a little tiny bit earlier at I can't remember the name of the place, but a, a bit so we anyway we we anchored there overnight, got going early in the morning and we headed straight over to Andros. We thought, right, we could have a nice reach over to Andros um get there. And um and that's when it all started. We arrived in Andra Andros and um I thought, Oh this is good, you know, it's it's showing foot fives. Um, on the wind chart, this is great and so we headed, we, it's about 40 miles so it's quite a big trip for our very first ever day um, over there, heading over there and um, it was it was tough wasn't it Kath? Yeah, very windy. Do you want to say a bit about what it was like? Okay Kath, I'll let you describe what it was like as the first day.
2: Um, definitely an exciting day but a bit of an induction into, <laughs> into sailing um, but we've I think we do really well as a family, especially with the children. They are very, very competent, very resilient, and they just get stuck in. Yo uh, and our eldest is one of the main crew, and the younger three uh, do the right thing at the right time, and we just hang on for dear life and hope we get there, <laughs> which we often do. <laughs> um, it's just when things go wrong, it gets a little bit t- testing. Um, Many people think it's luxurious going on a sailing holiday in Greece. Uh, I refer to it as an endurance test. It's definitely not relaxing, uh, but definitely enjoying uh, the outdoors. And it just takes us to a different place. And our children do cliff jumping and they love jumping off the boat and they go snorkeling and all those sorts of things that you can't really capture without a boat. So uh, the pain is worth the joy. Uh, But we ripped a sail, uh, which was not ideal quite expensive to get fixed uh, but the good thing about sailing is that whenever you have a problem you have to work through it find a solution and then get on to the next venture so I think we've managed to do ten islands in the two weeks we've seen very some very beautiful spots and uh, it's definitely been something a bit different would we do it again uh, the family probably would but I'm not so sure I would
1: yeah <laughs> uh, so so yeah, that's that's yeah, that's Kath's perspective on things. But just to describe, just describe for for the for the real say for the real sailors, the sailing from the sailing point of view. Um, when we arrived in Andros, Andros and Tinos are just below what we call the Meltemi or Meltemi, or however you describe, however you pronounce it. But um, and constantly there is wind um, just to the northeast of of the Mel, uh, northeast of um, Andros and Tinos, and it's it's a constantly a red area, so it's constantly sixes and sevens um, showing just to the northeast of it. Now, to, this, to the leeward side of the islands, it shows a mere fives and sixes. Now, actually, it's a complete lie. <laughs> it's a complete lie. To the leeward side of every single island in the Kiklades is um, huge, what we call is willy wars or, or um, yeah, just got very, very strong gusts. So to the leeward side of the islands, um, it, the wind accelerates um, considerably. And, um, yeah, it, it just, it, it, it's much, much, much stronger, really, than it is on the windward side. So we, ha- we started off in Andros, and uh, um, we went we, Gaviro, Gavirong, 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 and then we went to Batsy. So we stopped in Gavirong, and we, we, um, some friends were staying there. And then we stayed overnight for, I think, two nights in Batsy and the wind did not stop did not go below four six for two days and we're thinking right well we just got to get out of here as it was just building and building and building the the waves were getting bigger or the swell was getting bigger even back up into the into the marina or into the dock where we where we were and we thought we just got to get out of here so we we set off and we thought right we just go down just down the coast and we'd head down to tinos and um so we, we started off and I put up the full main and just straight downwind, and immediately this thing was going up to 10 and a half knots, which is just ridiculous speed for this boat, which is a 41 foot Beneteau Oceanus. And um, so, right, okay, take some sailing, fine. Um, then it was starting to gust, and okay, take some more sailing. So, and then so we reduced down to about six or seven or eight knots. Okay. It's starting to get quite windy now. Take a bit more sailing. So, literally, I can show you the footage of the video, but I've literally got about a meter and a half of, of Genoa out. And we're now, now, the wind is cons- consistently at 35 40 knots. Thinking, okay, all right, right. Well, we just need to hang on in here. We'll just keep going. We're, just, we're doing okay. It's fine. We'll keep going. It's a bit up and down. And then you can just see the wind coming over the top of this mountain, down the hills, and then huge, not quite water spouts, but just big spirals of, of water just being lifted off the water and just being put into the air and of kind of cyclones. I don't know how you describe them, but just cyclones of, of of um, or tornadoes, yeah, miniature tornadoes just streaming off. You could just see a series of these little tornadoes or water, yeah, water spouts just streaming off the islands and just hitting us and just absolutely battering it. So okay, we kept going, kept going, kept going. And then we got down to Tinos and then it just starts you know, then it's not going below forty five knots yeah, of breeze. After
3: the, gap, after the gap in the island it got much more windy than it, and a little bit more choppy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So now, now the the winds are sorry, the waves are now how big were the waves do you reckon? I don't know, about four or five foot maybe. Yeah, yeah. so waves are getting a bit a bit more chunky and um so it's now yeah consistently 40 knots gusting, and the biggest gust we saw was 57 knots. So we're now severe gale storm, so gusting storm force, and 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 then we just we were getting absolutely battered. And then it was we had waves which were coming through. We'd, for some reason, we still had the the um, bimini up, but just because we couldn't take it down at this stage. We had waves coming through here off the off our stern quarter, and just heading and just hitting underneath the bimini um just going yeah, absolutely completely over the top of us and um and one of those big waves the waves are just throwing you off and cuz there's so much windage on the boat cuz the boat's actually quite a big boat and so much windage it's really really difficult to steer so one of those moments when i just got thrown off course um the the head sail started to flap and then of course it's just like a gunshot as it as it takes you know as it's released and then the wind comes back into it and it just it just blew up it just completely blew up and and uh, for that little bit of sail which was out just absolutely stripped it and and that was in yeah you know force 10 gust so um of course then the motor goes on and we head straight into the very first bay that we can get to so we put the anchor down and it shows it as an anchorage and says a good good shelter from the meltimi um so we go right up to the beach and we're within uh, i think one other boat which is the same as us just just um hiding in there and the beach is even though we're something like i don't know 100 meters off the beach the waves are still two foot um howling winds the the boat's dancing everywhere and um we just go we can't and then all of a sudden we slipped the, the anchor slipped i was like Catherine's like we've got to get out of here we've got to get out of here we cannot stay in here so i made the head sail fast and um then we headed on on down eventually we plucked up the courage to head down to tinos and um headed into tinos and we're very much feeling sorry for ourselves and licking our wounds and trying to work out how to fix the sail but even in tinos the winds were howling right the way through the night never dropped below a four six i'm sure and then i was thinking okay the Meltemi must die down it's going to and for the rest of the la you know the last two weeks i'm sure it's never gone below a four six We've arrived now in Poros, which is, so I guess in total mileage, we've probably done almost, I think about 350 miles of cruising. Um, It's been an absolute sleigh ride going downwind. We've had some fantastic sails downwind, some absolutely brilliant sails downwind. Um, And then, of course, and then eventually get to the place where you've got to come home and you think, hang on a sec, it's got to die down at some stage. It's got to come... It's got to die down at some stage or it's got to go around and do do what it should be doing not at all so it's been a huge battle over the last three days to actually get back up to poros and um, head up wind which is you know for this boat is really difficult because the the um, genoa is not very has not got a very good shape um, and we can you know we're attacking angles around about 130 which is a bit disgraceful really for a for a modern sailing boat. But anyway, um, we've managed it. We've got here and, of course, this lovely, lovely gentle breeze. (laughs) And uh, Franz was asking me yesterday, oh, how was it coming across from Seraphos to here? And I said, oh, it was okay. It was only about 30, 35 knots of wind. So it's just amazing what you get used to. But the advice I'd give someone going down to the Kikladis is, you know, I'm a pretty, I guess, a pretty experienced sailor. Um, The kids are... Pretty good at, uh, you know, pretty hardy. Um, but you, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I'd recommend it to anyone. I'm not saying to anyone. It, you've just got to be really sure what you're doing. Um, I think we got away with it. There was no problems. But you know, heading, heading, him, him, getting him back up. Is is difficult, at, you know, in the middle of the season. I think if you're if you're cruising for much taking a longer much longer period of time, I think you get to the end of the summer and then head back up when the Meltemi drops off. I think probably, but it's yeah.
0: What's, what's the farthest island you got to? Did you get down to Milos?
1: Yeah. So we went down from so to just list them. We went from um, Andros to Tinos to. Syros, down from Syros, we went to to Paros, that's right, and then we went to Naxos. So these are all slowly going south, south, south. Uh, and then we went to Sikinos, I think it was Sykinos, which is quite a small, quite a small island. And then we headed down to Eos. Now, Eos for us, this this is the first time that we've been back here in Greece for um, I think 28 years, something like that. 29 30 no in fact 30 years um we since we were last back here and eos was one of the islands that we visited when we were backpackers and um so we made it to eos and then for, so i was kind of pretty much almost the furthest south and then we started heading west from eos we headed to where was it carwin um, milos yeah. or uh, oh, that's poliagos yeah so we went to P- poliagos and again, you're heading there and it's just absolutely howling winds, howling winds, <clears throat> all night long. And when you're at anchor, you know, these boats with quite a lot of, you know, you've got a lot of anchor. You know, each night we've been, um, we've been putting out a 50, 60 metres of anchor chain. You know, it's a huge anchor chain this, on this boat. And we've, you know, we've really needed it to stop us slipping and, and it's been quite a bad night's sleep. And, you know, even last night in Seraphos, oh, sorry, night before last in Seraphos, we were tucked in under a headland and it was taking, well, it took us three attempts to anchor um, successfully. Loads of people were still anchoring into the night, just their anchors were slipping, you know, so waking up at one o'clock in the morning as people trying to re-anchor, um, absolutely horrendous. Again, it didn't go, didn't go below, didn't, I'm sure it never went, never ever went below a, a 4.6, you know, still gusting 40 knots of breeze across the deck. So I think that was probably the furthest south, the furthest east we went was Eos. The furthest uh, Eos and Milos was about the furthest south we went. And then on the way back up, we went from Milos up to Serifos, Serifos up to Poros. But um, yeah, and our, lo- our longest journey was yesterday, and that was about 55 miles, and that was yeah, a good. I think 11 hours of sailing, which is hard. You know, for the kids, it's really hard, and it's difficult when everyone's not feeling that well cooking food eating food um yeah so that's quite difficult to to successfully do longer passage times but we made it back here and it feels like we're still 28 miles away from where we should be by 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 tonight which um but considering the breeze it's going to be a piece of cake so it feels it feels like we're home already really so um yeah that's 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 from the sailing side of things but i don't know if you've got any other questions about any other aspects of it Let's
0: get the perspective of uh, the oldest son, Johan. Tell us what you think of, of the trip so far. and you know, do you Have you been sailing from a young man as well? Have you been in the sailing course? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you think, Johan. Uh, so
3: yeah, um, I have done a little bit of sailing and racing here and there, not much really. I kind of grew out of it about two or three years ago. But I guess I've always kind of been around the boats. Um, on toppers and just start getting into a little bit of lasers as well, but yeah, that's kind of my. I don't. Yeah, I just like helping dad really get about the place and pre. Well, from my perspective, I think the trip was. Yeah, it was quite. It was quite um, quite difficult at times, especially in the later and or well, the first stages and the later stages of the holiday. But what what we've managed to see is unbelievable. Like all those islands. And even though it's kind of quite a lot of effort to get around the place on a sailing boat, it definitely gives you a different perspective on I mean, yeah, it makes you appreciate where you actually go. Because you're relying completely on the wind and not not on a boat on not on an engine or anything. Which I think is quite good I guess. So yeah. I, I've loved the holiday and I think I would do it again if it was a little bit less windy, potentially. Yeah would make it a little bit more enjoyable at, t- at times, yeah.
0: So so yesterday when we came into Por- Poros, uh, we spotted this open spot, and Poros can be notoriously crowded. It's hard to find spots to tie up in this little town, which is a delightful little town. I've been here, I think this is the third or fourth time I've been through this town, and it's hard to find a spot to anchor. And So when I saw uh, this open spot here, I came in and I dropped my anchor and... Uh, and I thought it was going to be a fairly easy back in but I didn't take into account that there was a little bit of a side breeze but in addition to that there's a current that's that's carrying you uh... to the to the east and so the winds blowing to the east from the from the west to the east and the currents going from the west to the east but I didn't really take into account the current so I dropped up wind a little bit thinking I'd be able to back in and uh... and I had to try two or three times to back in, and eventually uh, I bumped into, I didn't bump into, we came in on the side of uh, of Hamish's boat here, and they were there to help me tie up. It was really helpful. You guys were out there on the dock taking lines, pulling me over, and it was uh, very, very helpful, and they, they were helping other boats come in as well. So we've, I really appreciated your help yesterday, and it was great. Now, while we've been sitting here talking... I've been watching a boat pull up its anchor that was two boats uh, down from us and they motored out very quickly and, and now they're sort of stuck and it looks like they probably snagged onto somebody else's anchor and they're trying to figure out what to do right now. And so it's a little bit of a show we get to watch and be entertained. I know I've done exactly the same thing in exactly the same harbor and... And uh, there's ways to, you basically have to swim down and, and release it by hand. I mean, what what I've done in the past is if I've got my anchor underneath somebody else's anchor, or they're over the top of me, I have to basically go down and tie a rope from the bow of my boat down underneath their anchor and uh, and get their anchor lifted off the bottom enough that I can get my anchor underneath theirs. That's the way I, I've always done it, but we'll see if they can figure that out right now. So it's a there's somebody in the water with a mask and snorkel, and uh, they're swimming around, and the wind's blowing them downwind. So there's a little bit of a breeze, so there's a little bit of a stress on the on the anchor chain, but that's a typical morning in Poros when boats start to leave. So
1: <laughs> play what it is, one thing.
0: Okay, the boys, I'll have one thing on their mind. Okay. When to
1: go
0: sailing. All right. Identify yourself and tell us what you're thinking.
3: Okay. I'm Tyler, and he's probably talking about, like, when we go sailing. After the sail's over and we get into, like, little bays or, like, yeah, beaches that are quiet, we like, we like going cliff jumping, and we, like, find little spots to do, like, backflips and tricks off or, like, the highest spot we can to do to jump off. And we film it so yeah that's what we
0: love doing all the time or just or just or swim. just
1: swim all they want to do is,
0: is i mean i can show you the are you gonna put this on youtube no. are you gonna put over oh, there not i was i would i'd link to it on youtube so everybody could watch it but if you're not going to all right so we got some videos here uh, some wind charts too <laughs> as i'm looking through the photographs uh,
1: that's one of it back there
0: oh yeah look at that that's a ta- that's about about Ten meters, you think?
3: Maybe
0: yeah. about that, yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice jump! <laughs> so he did a backflip off a cliff into the water. Yeah. Oh, this is even taller. Ah, nice jump.
3: Doing, one as well that's
1: even
0: higher. So we're just seeing them jump off uh, cliffs. Oh, nice, nice. That's what you like to do, huh? Yeah.
1: I saw, yeah, That's Yeah, that's the only. Thing. <laughs> so for me I get my sailing um, Kath gets to do a bit of sunbathing the boys love their jumping and love their snorkelling and um, I think pretty much everyone's happy, even Finn your what was the favourite thing for you about this holiday?
2: Um, my favourite thing was probably um, actually getting on a boat because we haven't been on one in a few years
1: well,
2: since last year since last year and um it's been really fun just to like sail anywhere and the hardest thing is to try not to fight with my brothers
1: <laughs> oh yeah the app yeah so when i when i bumped into france yesterday um we did actually physically bump into each other didn't we yeah, yeah. <laughs> well our boats did anyway and uh we were talking about um, we were talking about the winds and we were talking about, and I was just, it's all lies. It, they're lying to us. They're lying to us. The wind charts are lying because it always seems windier than, than they predict on Poseidon, which is, the, which is the main one which I've been using with the wind chart. And um, to overcome this, I was introduced to it by a Turkish boat and it's called, let me just start was vessel, vessel movement or vessel, hang on, uh, marine traffic I think it is, isn't it? hang on let me just get this yeah sorry it's it's an app called marine traffic um and in pounds it cost me 3 pounds 99 and you paid it in dollars and it was 4 dollars 95 4 4 dollars 95 um and so what it does is um every vessel these days has to have something called or every commercial vessel has to have something called an AIS on it which is what does it mean what does it stand for it's AIS uh, it's a basically yeah yeah AIS, I've forgotten what it is, what it actually stands for, but it's a, um, it sends out GPS signals in digital format, um, as f- sends it out to everyone else around you. So it almost is like a like a radar, but it doesn't work in anything like the same way a radar does. So what it does is it sends information about the boat, what exactly what type of boat it is. It sends, and this is standard AIS on board. It sends out the um, the identification number, it sends out its speed, it sends out its direction but it also sends out some other information um, like the wind speed and the wind direction and so this app, this really cool app um, picks up on the AIS um, signal from every single every single vessel in the whole world and it gives you all of its vessel details um, so it'll give you pictures of what it looks like and then if you go click on position at the top of it, it also gives you tells you exactly what it's doing. so it might say it's at anchor, it might say it's underway and so um it'll be saying, okay, it's going twelve knots um and it'll give you the degrees of what exactly what its course is but most importantly for us as sailors, we can see um what exactly what the true wind is and the true wind direction is. so if I'm sat in port like I was yesterday. Um, in the in the middle of the night with howling winds and thinking, how am I going to get out of this? Or am I just heading out into a into a storm? I'm gonna kill everybody. Um, then you by looking at this um this this app, then you realize. That hang on a sec. It's not that bad out there. It's only you know. It's only 28 knots, 24 knots, 22 knots, and then you can look at vessels exactly where you're, which are crossing across your path, where you're due to go. So it just gives you a little bit more confidence about what the real-time wind is at that moment in time. So um, yeah, I I, th- I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Of course, it's no good for forecasting, but it just gives you some um, when you're a little bit when you're a little bit unsure as to. Um, whether you can set off or what it's like um you, you know gives you a bit more comfort. Well, for me it gave me a lot more confidence that i'm not about to kill everybody <laughs> the only problem with it is it uses data which dad is extremely stingy
3: about and does not let us surf the internet whatsoever just a side note
0: <laughs> so uh well while well, we've been describing this app i actually opened it up and took a look at uh the uh, the west side of the corinth canal because i'm going to be heading through the corinth canal and i'm kind of curious as to what the weather is like on the uh on the west side of the corinth canal and there's one boat uh that's there right now waiting to pass through the corinth canal and it's actually a sailing vessel registered in Patra, greece by the name of swallow uh actually it's not registered it's it's i guess it's headed to Patra, greece oh it came from Patra, greece that was his last destination it's and it's unknown destination, it, it left Patrick, Greece, and it's it's heading through the Corinth Canal. It gives me its call sign, the year built, the uh, 14 meters long by 4 meters wide. Its, a, its flag is New Zealand. And then you, that's the name of the vessel and the information on the vessel. Then it'll give you information on the voyage. And on some of these, for the commercial vessels, it'll actually show you a track of where they've come from. And then the position. And in the position, it shows... The wind direction 10 knots, uh, wind direction 334, north-northwest, and the temperature is 24 degrees centigrade, which I think it's hotter than that. So I'm thinking that must be the water temperature or something like that. But but it's hotter than that out right now, or maybe it's not. But um, so that's that's the only vessel that's on the west side of uh, the Corinth Canal at this point in time. And then it also has port calls, and doesn't have any data available. But on the uh, on the commercial vessels, it'll show the port calls. Uh, so if you expand the overall image out, you can see there's uh, there's a few vessels approaching the Corinth Canal from the east side, and I could go into detail on those. But it's a pretty interesting app, and I'm thanks for
1: turning me on to it. It's pretty cool. France, do you have? Um AIS on on board your boat because I've noticed that you don't have any um, you don't have any radar reflector up your uh, on top of your boat either at the moment Um, (laughs) And you might you might say hi, but you don't have any but Hamish There's no radar reflector on your boat, but no our radar reflector got blown away Um, And we've got a a tiny fragment of plastic left of it Uh, all the metal's gone completely, but um, yeah, how do you you when you're sailing through the night? How do you um, uh, how do how vessels avoid you?
0: Good question, and thanks for pointing out my faults. But uh, yeah, I used to have a radar reflector like yours, and uh, like yours, mine got blown away. And uh, and uh, oh, we're, okay, okay. We're update on the boat that's uh, that's stuck at anchor out in front of us. They just pulled up a big pole off the bottom <laughs> off the bottom of the uh, of the harbor here, and they're lifting it up. It looks like a big steel pole that they're pulling up. Oh. You never know what you're going to find out there. So anyway, I'm sure, uh, yeah, I, I don't have AIS. It's one of those things I'd like to put on my boat, but I haven't got it yet. But I probably will in the next few years. I don't have radar. Um, radar reflector I don't have. Um, for a night, I haven't had to do much night sailing. I will have to do an overnight trip this year from uh, when I go leave uh, Corfu and head up to Montenegro. There will be an overnight trip there. Uh, We'll be up keeping watch, basically, at night, looking for boats. Haven't had really any close calls over the years. I shouldn't say that. I've had a couple close calls over the years. But, yeah, it's something I recommend. Do they have AIS on this boat?
1: No, I'm sure that most charter boats don't have any AIS. um, But our previous boat that we had, um, Kishinor, which was a Sigma 38, um, that did have... AIS, um, or we put on, or John, one of the owners put on, um, AIS as a, as a transmitting only. Um, so it sent out our signal, but we didn't have, no, I think we did, sorry, we did have receivers, we had a receiver on it as well, actually, later on we had a receiver on it as well, and I, I highly recommend it, and I'm, you know, I, well, my recommendation to you would be, um... I think that they're probably more effective than having a radar reflection on there, actually, because I think most people would expect someone, even even modern sailing vessels sailing through the night, would, would expect AIS on board. And I think that for safety wise, I would definitely put that on. But on a second note, the majority of the radar reflectors that vessels have here in the Mediterranean are these small tubes. So the diameter of the tube is something like, I don't know, two and a half, three inches. Um, and they're probably around about just over almost 18 inches long. Um but from my or from the reviews which I've read um in the press and the sailing press back in the UK they are not really not that effective and so um we when we also when we set when we had our boat previously we had a much larger one so we had the diameter of it was was probably a good 10 inches wide. And probably still 18 inches high um, so it's not very good for sailing so we just used to put it up during the course of the night um, so we used to pull it up on our on the on the, on the flag halyards on um, just up to the spreader so we held it up at the spreader so that's that's what we did um, and yeah so that gives you a, a degree of safety but but that's what they say is those, those small tubes which are which are good for leaving up all the time and and not and quite aerodynamic for sailing um, they're quite ineffective From from the reviews which I've read, and so yeah, that's that's. There's not really much point in having one of those either. So, but I mean, I would I would highly recommend the AIS um, transmitter at least, and I don't. I I think the power requirement for that is not too high. So I you know I don't know what the rest of your nav system is, but I'm sure that your nav system would have the capability to to take in AIS as well. Um, So as in have receiver AIS receiver. So then you wouldn't. Or you could go online to check anything that was coming nearby, and then you can call it up, you see. Because, I mean, in Greece, certainly, there's pretty much everywhere we've sailed, there's been data if you need it. So, yeah.
0: uh, Yeah. yeah, So when I was coming in yesterday, I got tied up uh, fine. And then another French boat came in, a charter boat with uh, some French young people on it. I think there were maybe eight total on that boat. And you helped them tie up, and then another in, uh, sole sailor, a solo sailor, a Frenchman came in, and he dropped anchor. And and uh, while he was backing in, he bumped against my bowsprit. No, was it was it you oh, that no. saw, you? I don't did, know why you hit quite.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, he was, bit, he was across. He was definitely. Yeah. Across both.
0: Yeah, and so he did a little damage to my bowsprit, and we exchanged insurance information. So I'm going to be stuck here. I don't know if he did any structural damage to the bowsprit. Or not. I'm going to have to take a look at it more today. But uh, but I've done damage to other boats with my bowsprit. so now somebody's done damage to me with their boat on my bowsprit. so I'll have to take a look at it more today. But uh, we eventually pulled him back out and put him on the other side of you because his, his chain had crossed both of our anchor chains, so we've moved him out and back around and down on the other side. But just one of the headaches of dealing... Uh, I never do any damage when I'm out sailing. It's only when I come into port that I do <laughs> that I I'm damaged or somebody else gets damaged by me. So, thank you. Do you have any other thoughts you want to share with us? What do you? Hey, what have you been cooking? What have you been cooking on the boat? What What's been your main meals?
2: Oh, we've been we've been eating really well actually. So uh, food's quite expensive in Greece to, at the supermarket, but we've eaten uh, normally. So we've had pasta dishes. We've had fresh fish. We've had chicken dishes. So, yeah, we, I would say we've eaten quite normally and very healthily.
1: And what are we about to eat
2: now? We're about to have fresh fruit salad Breakfast. with, yeah, with uh, Greek yogurt and muesli with omelettes to follow. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for sharing with us, OK? I'll, uh, we'll exchange emails and I'll let you know when it's kind of going to be, be loaded up, OK? That's great stuff. Thanks great. a lot. Great, thank you. That was... Well, that finishes Hamish's story. Before we go, if you like this podcast and you want to support the podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon at patreon.medsailor.com or just go to the website medsailor.com and click on the Patreon link. Also, if you're studying for your ASA 101, 103, or 104, I have some audio lessons that are available at the website. You can also find them in iTunes and on Amazon if you do a search under my name, Franz, F-R-A-N-Z, Amazon, A-M-U-S-S-E-N. And if you want to do me one more favor, write a review in iTunes. I'd sure like that if you would do that. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.